Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. So uh, I have a question for you this morning. Why are we here? (laughs) Now, I know some of you are asking yourself that question already. And you mean it very contextually, like, why did I get up early this morning and why did I come here? But in some broader sense, I want us to ask this question over the next few weeks. Why are we here? What is this thing we do? this church thing that's going on, and why does it matter? And I think you know this, but, you know, the longest season in the calendar without a holiday is the season from Labor Day through Thanksgiving, which means you have no reason to miss church between now. (laughs) I mean, you get a couple weeks, you get Labor Day weekend off, but then after that... And the changes that have happened in these last few years with, uh, you know, the, the virtual church and so many joining online, and, and what a blessing that is. I'm, I, I'm pro-online. I love the fact that we can be this community of faith, and it can extend. And, you know, I, as I drive over from the Pasadena campus, I'm online with the gang, and, you know, I just see names pop up. I know Rick and Vonnie are joining us this morning online and, you know, that we can stay connected, that we can continue to be a family. I've heard stories of how families are worshiping together across the country as they join in virtual church, and I'm pro all of that stuff. But why are we here? What is it that we hope is happening as we gather in this place? And to that question of why are we here, I'd ask this, what's the core of the gospel? What is it that's supposed to happen as a result of our connection to the teachings of Jesus, to the greater understanding that here is God's message to us, wisdom and understanding that we're supposed to gain insight into how to live and behave and how to, you know, function in our world? What is the core? What does it come down to? And then I want us to kind of hold this in our hearts. What we think about all of that matters. It matters as to how we relate to what goes on, what our priorities are, what, what happens to us in this greater context. And so it's been our tradition here at Montrose Church for a number of years that come fall, and I know it's Southern California fall, which means we will not experience actual fall weather for a little while, although it is nice and overcast today, isn't it? Hopefully the sun won't come out fit in with our whole talk about fall right now. But I feel like uh, it's the time of year where we sort of settle in. I know you started back to school this week. By the way, teachers, students, we're praying for all of you. We recognize it's a big deal. We recognize it's a big deal. And we are holding you up for the work that's being done and for the Immersion that's happening to our students at all the levels. And so as we enter into this fall season and we get back to school and things get back to normal and there's no more holidays and there's no more weekends off, it seems like a really good season to think about why are we here? What's supposed to happen? 
What is this thing that we're doing together, and, and, and how is it supposed to change us and alter the way we think and alter the way we live? And so for the next few weeks, we're going to center around the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is a very unique piece of teaching, and it takes place in Matthew's Gospel in chapters 5, 6, and 7. It's, it's sort of an introduction to all that Jesus is going to teach, and Matthew does this brilliant work with it, and we'll break it down in just a, a minute. But we're also sort of partnering with another little book, and that little book is written by an author named Sky Jathani. And Sky Jathani wrote a book that we did last Advent called With, where we really explored, you know, what did God intend when he said, God with us? And so we explored that last year in Advent season. And he wrote a second book that was released in 2020, and that book is What If Jesus Was Serious? <laughs> what If Jesus Was Serious? And that book centers around the Sermon on the Mount. And so what I've found as I've read the book and sort of immersed myself in the book is that it's a great book for you to buy. It's a great daily devotional kind of walk. I love the way he's broken it down. It's got some amazing artwork in it. Uh, we're going to kind of partner on the side of it. We're going to take some things that he talks about culturally because I think it matters. Namely, how does the church see the culture? And how does the culture see the church? And he becomes a very important voice in that conversation. So I'd encourage you to read it as a companion to this series as we immerse ourselves in the Sermon on the Mount. And we think about why are we here and what is the core teaching of Jesus? And why does it matter so much what I think about this thing that we're doing? I know this. I'm the weakest link. I'm the weakest link in my relationship with God. God, I think, can do a lot of things, but he has to get through my thinking and my emotions. And I don't know about you, but I often feel like I need more information in order to navigate life better. Anybody else feel that way? I need more information to navigate life better. I, need, I wish the pastor would come up with something. <laughs> Amen? Amen? I wish... <laughs> so hurtful, and that's the hardiest Amen. Amen. I've been praying for that for a long time. <laughs> Weeks I've been hoping he can stumble. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut now and then. I mean, <laughs> come on. Because <laughs> the truth is, somewhere in there, you know, we want information. We want to learn something that helps us navigate life better. And I think the gospel is full of wisdom. There's full of things to learn. I, I, I think we should always be learning. I think all of us together, me as a, as a leader and a teacher, Colton, when he teaches, well, we talk about this. We want to talk about what we're learning, not what we know, because if I know it, you already know it. Chances that I know something you don't know is pretty slim, unless it's trivia. And then I know a lot of that stuff, but... And then I want to feel some things. I want to feel better about life. Amen? I mean, I want to come to church and I want to hear the pastor preach something that helps me think differently so I feel better. I mean, that's a real goal, isn't it? That's really why we're here, so I can learn something that makes me feel better. Or is it? Because maybe the reason that I'm here is because this is an oasis in the desert that this place that we gather is supposed to be a place where God pours resource into me 
And because I'm the weakest link, sometimes it will have to bypass my mind. And because my emotions are very vulnerable, it may have to bypass my feelings. And I wonder how that happens. I wonder if I prepare my heart in such a way that I walk into this place so that I become open to what God might want to do in me that is higher than my thoughts and deeper than my feelings. We start by singing, which is good. Do you know why we start by singing? Because it's tradition. No. The church came to this thing called congregational singing. It didn't always do congregational singing. I mean, we did different variations of it over time. But, but we came to this thing because we found that it, something happens. A couple of things happen. Number one, uh, singing uh, traditionally has been a primary means of education. The things we sing about helps keep things in our brain that we ought to know. But secondly, singing is incredibly vulnerable. Amen. Don't you wish people felt as sensitive about talking as they do about singing? Let that settle in there for a minute. Take your time. Because we do. I mean, you know, if you're singing in your car when nobody's around, you're like, good. Real good. Real good. Real good. I sound good. But if somebody's in the car... We don't let go like that, do we? And if we do, it's super awkward. We used to have a, a, a worship leader here, and in the middle of church, he'd be over here playing the keyboard, leading worship. And in the middle of church, he'd grab the cordless mic, and he'd come down. I mean, imagine the fear in this. He would come down, and he would hold the mic up to people who were singing. People would scatter. I mean, honestly, whoa, whoa. I had to say to him, man, don't do that. People are leaving the church. This is not good. No. Because we're pretty sensitive about that. And the church discovered in time that when people gather and they open their mouths and they sing, there's a vulnerability happening. Now, we've cleaned it up. We've cleaned it up. One of the things I love about going to Swaziland is they have not yet cleaned it up. They just sing. They just sing. And I know that, you know, you go, well, yeah, but they sing well. No. No, some do, and guess what? Some don't. But here's the deal. They're all equally vulnerable. In fact, I think they select worship leaders in Swaziland based on their willingness to just let it out. Because it is not based on the quality of the notes. And we sing because it creates a vulnerability in us. Because we're coming together to open ourselves up. To open ourselves up so that we can experience the very presence of the Holy Spirit of God. Because we need that. We need something more than just what we are thinking and something more than what we are feeling. We need to be ushered in to the very presence of God so that He can do work in us that is bigger than and deeper than and greater than just what I think and what I feel. Sometimes I should be able to walk out of a space of being in the presence of God and something mystical has happened. If you say, what happened? I don't know, but I'm better. <laughs> I'm better. 
I'm better simply because I quieted my heart and I came away from all of the distractions and all of the things that take out of me and something poured into me. And I became vulnerable and open. And I didn't think I knew everything or I had to figure everything out or I had to understand everything or I had to have all of these feelings sorted out because my feelings don't often get all sorted out. What I did was I made myself available and the very presence of God did work in me that I'm not even sure how to describe. But I will say this, it's mystical. It's mystical. Something happened. It turns out that his grace was sufficient because his strength was made perfect in my weakness, which included my lack of understanding and the chaos of my feelings. And I want to be a part of that. I want to come into the presence of God. I want to be a part of a body of people, whether I do that virtually or I do it in person, where where there is an oasis because there is so much in my life that takes out of me. There is so much in my life that drains away from me. There's so much that costs me. There's so many times and conversations and places where I feel myself being drained away. My energy, my understanding, my sense of peace and well-being, I feel it being drained away. And I want to get back into a space in which I'm being refilled. And I want to prepare my heart in such a way and gather with other people who are like in vulnerability... And I want to soak it up. In fact, what I hope for and long for is the very kingdom of God present and alive on earth. Where his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to walk in here. And I want to worship. And I want to leave different than I came in. And not because the pastor finally preached a decent sermon. I mean, we've done that, haven't we? We've sort of made the be-all to end-all the quality of a church based on how good the music is or how good the worship is or how good the pastor is or blah, blah, blah. And I mean, I know we don't want to be bored out of our head and we don't want to be embarrassed and we don't want to be outraged at what the pastor's saying. But the pastor's not the head of the church. Just a role player. Jesus is the head of the church. And that's where we came. I love this old Charles Spurgeon story. You know, Charles Spurgeon was a great, great preacher, although I've read his sermons, and they don't hold up well. But. <laughs> Isn't it funny how you can read an old, you know, like, like what really flew in 1900? doesn't really work in 2022. But there's a story about uh, Charles Spurgeon being out of town one Sunday, and The substitute pastor got up and said, all of those who came to hear Charles Spurgeon can leave now. (laughs) Those who came to hear the word of God may stay. And shouldn't that be the spirit of it? I mean, I don't know what Pastor Dave's doing this week, but I didn't come really to hear him. (laughs) I came to hear what maybe God has to say, and maybe he won't get in the way of that today. Amen? Because just a role player. And we all have roles. We just talked about volunteers Sunday, next Sunday. This room should be packed with people interested in volunteering. Because what we think about what we're doing here matters. And why are we here? We are here as an oasis of the kingdom of God alive on earth. The salt of the earth, the light of the world. To refuel, to replenish, to refresh. 
So along comes the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus came and he, he began to teach. And people said, he teaches as one who has authority. And they flocked to hear him speak. And so what was different about him? Well, he wasn't caught up with the religion. And he wasn't caught up with the Pharisaical law. And he wasn't caught up with the do's and don'ts. He was caught up with this thing, this connection to the very presence and power of God. And people felt it. And they experienced it. And they longed for it. And so they flocked to come and to hear what he had to say. And so... What has happened to us? What has happened to the church? Have we sort of somewhere along the way forgotten? So Scott Jathani just asked this question. What if Jesus was serious? What, what if the, the writing that we have as the Sermon on the Mountain, it may very well be preached in exactly as Matthew records it for us. Here's what we know. We know that in its representation, you know, as the Sermon on the Mount, the materials get pulled apart in all the other Gospels, meaning Jesus either taught them separately in many other contexts and settings, which Matthew hints at, uh, or the, it was a gathering of the sermon that had been preached in many places, and he put it all together in one place. But what we know is the Sermon on the Mount because the core teachings of what Jesus has to say. And do we take it seriously? Are we connected to it? So as you kind of think about what that looks like and what that means, let me just read to you a little quote from the book. Christian researcher George Barna concluded, American Christianity has largely failed since the middle of the 20th century because Jesus' modern-day disciples do not act like Jesus. All this confirms why the culture generally views Christians as hypocrites. Far from being hostile toward Jesus' message, my experience has been that our society is hungry for precisely the kind of integrity, gentleness, kindness, and love that Jesus reveals in the Sermon on the Mount. We who claim to be Jesus' followers and seek a life shaped by His kingdom hold the antidote to the division and anger that is poisoning our culture. If we want the culture to take Jesus more seriously, maybe we should try it first. Well, that's why you read books like this. Because you come across paragraphs like that where you go, well, that just upset my whole day. What if Jesus was serious? What if Jesus was inviting us into a place and a space in which we actually displayed the characteristics that he speaks about in this sermon. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who show mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers. How do we fit that in? With that has become sort of this divisive, angry church that is so often represented in our world and in our culture. What's happening? What's happening to you in this process? Let's talk for a minute about Matthew. Everybody doing okay? Let's talk for a minute about Matthew and how he presents this gospel. This sermon is very important to me. It's been very important to me for a long, long time. We've done a lot of work on it. If you've been here for very long, you know we've done a number of series on the Sermon on the Mount. So buckle up. Uh, here's some background that you've probably heard before, but you need to hear it again. Matthew, in presenting the gospel and presenting now this core piece teaching of the gospel, he presents it in such a way that is brilliantly put together. The crowd gathered, and when he had gone up on the mountainside, he sat down, 
and he opened his mouth and he spoke to them saying. Now, a lot of the modern translations are going to smooth out the Greek here uh, because they're just kind of taking out some extra words, but the Greek turns out to be fairly important in how Matthew is conveying it. And when he had sat down as a rabbinic saying, it's a colloquial rabbinic saying, which means when the, when the rabbi sat down, he was now at the core of the teaching. He had done the preliminaries, he had said what he was, he had done the introductions, blah, 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 blah. But when he had sat down, now he's getting to the heart of what he wants them to know. Every Jewish person in a synagogue knew that when the rabbi sat down, it was time to get your notepad out and take notes. This was the important stuff. He was getting to the meat of it. And so Matthew offers us this saying, this colloquial saying. When the crowds gathered, he went up on the mountainside, and when he had sat down is literally how the Greek runs. He opened his mouth. Now, a lot of modern translation says, and he, and he spoke to them saying, but it's very specific in the Greek, and he opened his mouth, and he spoke to them saying, and the reason it's so specific is, and he opened his mouth, is an oracle saying, so that the Greeks in the crowd would have heard, you know, oh, the oracle is about to speak. So if you go back into the Hellenistic culture, you could go to the temple of a god or goddess, and you could say, I need a word. You know, I've got some decisions to make. I need guidance in my life, and I need a word from the gods or goddesses. And so then the oracle would come out, and the oracle would channel the voice, the teaching, whatever the god or goddess was saying. And the colloquial saying at the understanding of when the oracle was about to speak was, and they opened their mouth, and they spoke saying. So that the Greeks in the crowd then would understand, and the Greeks who would later read this work, they would all understand. And when he had sat down, rabbinic saying, and he opened his mouth, and he began to teach them saying, the oracle was about to speak. The voice of God was about to be channeled. <laughs> These are the very teachings of God. He does one more thing that's very important here. The proper way to write this, because he's writing in the past tense, would be the aorist tense. That would mean that he has said, Jesus got up, and he sat down, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying. And he did it once, because that's the, how it works. But he doesn't write it in the aorist tense. He writes it in the imperfect tense, which means... And he began to teach them, and he kept teaching them, and kept teaching them, and kept teaching them, and kept teaching them. And Matthew wants us to know at the beginning, here's the rabbinic teaching, here's the voice of the oracle. This teaching will be the core, and you will hear it over and over and over and over, because this is the core of the gospel that Jesus wants us to understand. This is the very voice of God to his people bypassing all of the religious red tape, getting through all of that right into the heart of what it means. And at the very end of this, he's going to say, so now when you pray, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. This is what it looks like to be the kingdom of God alive on earth. And he's speaking this powerful truth. The first thing that he deals with is this reality of who's getting blessed. I don't know. Who do you think's blessed? Here's who I think's blessed. People who are blessed. Pretty clever. I had a few weeks to come up with that. Who do you think's blessed? I mean, when I drive down the street and I see somebody in a particular car, I'm like, that looks like a blessing to me. Or I drive by a particular house. That looks like a blessing to me. I think people, I see a certain post on Facebook. Do you ever do this? Nobody else but me. You just look on there and go, wow, they're having a good life. I mean, look where they are. They're getting to go there. They're getting to do that. And just look at their family. Look, they're all smiling at the same time. 
What kind of voodoo is that going on over there? What kind of blessing do they have over at their house? They're all happy together at the same moment. That, does that happen to people? I think the people who are blessed are the people who are blessed. Jesus looks at the crowd. A group of people who aren't adequate. A group of people who don't have it together. A group of people who don't think they understand it all. A group of people that don't meet the expectations. A group of people that feel beaten up and abused by the religious system and the political system. And he looks them in the face and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And blessed are the meek. And blessed are those who show mercy. And blessed are those who mourn. And it's a way of Jesus saying, Listen, I know you think that those who are blessed are those that look blessed. But let me tell you who's really blessed. People who are living a real life. And going through real stuff. And who can own it. Who can sit in that space. And each of these has some specific meaning as to how God can meet us in that space. But but he's saying simply, listen, you may think that someone else is blessed. But it's not someone else. It's you. And it's me. And it's a lot of people that we would never have imagined are getting blessed. Because God doesn't live in the fantasy world of posts on Facebook. And he doesn't live in the philosophical ideals of the arguments that go on in our culture and in our world. He lives in the very real space where people live and breathe and hurt and weep and grow and change and love and eat and clean up and wash dishes and do the normal stuff that it takes to be a human being. And they gather together, and they become vulnerable, and they open their hearts, and they say, I need something more. I want to learn some things, absolutely. I want to feel some stuff for sure, but even more than that, I want to make myself available so that God might speak something into my heart and into my mind that is bigger than my thoughts, deeper than my own feelings. I want... The mystical communion with the very presence of God. That's what I want. That's why I go to church. That's what it's really about. It's not about all those other things. Hopefully all those other things usher me into a space where God can speak to me in personal communion. Because that's what I long for. That's what I long for. The people who are blessed are, are not what we think, he says. And then he says this, not only are the people that we think not who we always think, we always, we should understand this, that Jesus is inviting us to a present reality, not a future reality. I I don't know how you grew up. I grew up with a lot of great people. I don't have any bad stories about my growing up years. I don't have any bad stories about growing up in the church. Um, You know, I probably could dig some up if I thought long enough, but honestly, a lot of really great people, not great theology. However, (laughs) I didn't grow up around great theology. And part of what I could say as a kid, and particularly as a teenager when I became much more, you know, sensitive to this, is it seemed to me that most of the people that I worshipped with were just waiting to die so something good could happen to them. Amen? I mean, it's how it seemed to me as a kid. It's like, well, I hope you get your wish, (laughs) I guess. I mean, you know... There was some sense in it that we were, we were trying to get through this life 
so that we could die and get some reward for getting through this life in some meaningful way. And Jesus came along and said, listen, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah, whatever's next is next. But right now, let's go ahead and live the blessedness of the kingdom of God alive on earth. Blessed, participating in the joy of the gods are those who are now, presently, poor in spirit, who mourn, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are they, participating in the joy of the gods now, not some other time. Here are the core teachings. It's not who you think this blessed that's really blessed. And it's not about some future thing. It's about something we do and participate in right now, today. And then he says, blessed are those who mourn. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We talked about lament. Blessed are those who mourn. I don't think he's saying, you know, if you want to be blessed, mourn. I don't think that's what he's saying. It's not a prescription. He's saying, those who mourn have come to understand something. There is loss in life. There is loss in life. There is hurt. There is struggle. There is pain. And when we pretend we're okay, we give up something very precious. And what we give up is our ability to care for each other. I grew up singing songs like this. I'm inside, upside, outside, downside, happy all the time. Since Jesus Christ came in and saved my heart from sin, I'm inside, upside, outside, downside, happy all the time. If you're happy and you know it, I'm not sure what that represents. I mean, you know, a whole room full of kids stomping and clapping and yelling. But we grew up with this understanding that the highest expression of our faith is happiness. That happiness is a byproduct of something. Happiness is, a, is, is because we come together and go, it's not all about me. It's not all about my story. It's not all about my life. It's not all about what's happening to me. Because I'll be honest with you, there are some things in my life I'm mourning. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Because life is about more than just what happens to us as individuals. It's about, I said a couple of weeks ago, even the bad news in the gospel is encased in good news. Death will get swallowed up in victory. One day there will be no more tears, no more sorry, no more sickness, no more death. One day, even the death of Christ gets swallowed up in good news. That's what we believe about the gospel. But we mourn together because we go, I get that. Listen, don't come in here and have me pretend that I'm okay because there are things that I am mourning and there's a blessedness to the mourning. And I know you mourn too and we could mourn together and we don't have answers, but let me hold on to you while we both look up and ask God to do work in us where we cannot heal ourselves. Amen? Amen. We just can't. And there's room in this kingdom for that sort of sincerity. And it turns out who's blessed? The people that live real lives. Who knew? Don't you love the power of positive thinking? I mean, don't you love that, the, 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 the idea of attraction? Well, let's just all be positive and then good will attract good. Well, maybe. I mean, there is probably some place in there where we don't have to always everything that's happening to us, right? Amen? 
How are you? I didn't need to know that. <laughs> I don't think I would have shared that. But somewhere between, you know, what is socially, culturally proper into this space in which we become very real about who we are and about the journey and about our desire to have the very presence of God heal things in us that we don't know how to heal ourselves and some things that won't ever heal. We'll have to wait for that time when death is swallowed up in victory and something else happens. But we live in this genuine space of sincerity because who knew that being sincere was more important than being happy? Maybe Jesus. Maybe Jesus. It also confirms that Jesus is committed to righteousness, justice, that he longs for rightness in the world, and that matters. It matters in a huge way. He also loves mercy. I, I just wonder if we stopped right there, we just said, you could preach a whole sermon, by the way, on any of these. Uh, we're doing all 12, and we're almost done. But Do we speak with mercy? Do we speak of others with mercy? Mercy unmerited favor, giving them something better than they deserve. Do we walk away from conversations? Do we talk about others? Because we're supposed to speak mercy. In fact, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And, and I think, you know, we read that, we go, so if I don't show people mercy, then one day God's going to smite me. So I better be nice to people, because if I want God to be nice to me, I think it means something way deeper than that. I think it means if you want to live in an ethos of mercy, then so mercy. If you want to live in an ethos of criticism and suspicion and anxiety and depression and worry, then criticize. Just criticize. Just talk bad about folks because then you'll worry that they're talking bad about you because mercy breeds mercy. And when we practice it, we feel it. <laughs> Our kids feel it. Our home feels it. It's brighter. It's lighter. It's better. The church feels it. The community feels it. Isn't it amazing how many experts there are in the world now? I just want to let you know that in the last three years, I have gotten a lot of help. Thank you. Thank all of you. What's always interesting to me is that I'll have one person call me, write me, give me something, you know, and tell me, you know, you really need to do this, Pastor. And then the next email will be the exact opposite. Pastor, here's what you need to do. Somewhere in there, you know, that sense in which we stop for a minute and go, I probably don't know as much as I think I know. I probably want to exercise genuine grace and genuine mercy. I know what I see and I know what I understand. doesn't mean I'm right. It just means it's what I see and it's what I think. Well, here it is, and we're going to do this really quickly. Matthew 5, 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside, and when he had sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he began to teach them, say, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I saw a little study that was interesting to me. The average uh, person in the United States of America spends two hours a month in church. Uh, among those attending church, let me clarify. Two, you realize that you know there's been a massive change in the way we attend church over the last 70 years, but particularly over the last 20 years. 20 years ago, the average person who called themselves a regular attendee at church attended church four times a month, which means every odd fifth Sunday they might miss. <laughs> Today, the average person attends church twice a month, twice a month. I was at a meeting recently in which we were having an honest, serious conversation about how do we count attendance at church. Because... If you just count the people who are there on any Sunday, you're missing people because more people are coming to your church than are there on any given Sunday because most people only come twice a month. So how do you accurately represent in statistics how many people you're actually serving versus how many people showed up on a weekend? It's a problem. In the same time, in one month, the average person today is exposed to 150,000 ads of one kind and another. And what do you think the 150,000 ads are centered on? My image. How I appear. What I look like, what I smell like. How I'm interacting with others. 150,000 ads inundate me about my own self-image. Two hours in church, 150,000 ads. What are we doing here? What we're doing here is saying it's not about that. It's not about how you look. It's not about how you smell. Please look good and smell good. We, we don't need. <laughs> but at some point to go, that's not what life's about. Life is not about what I hear out there. Life is not about what I hear on the news. It's not about the politics. It's not about the culture. What life is about is that I can serve my life. I can take my life and use it for some greater good. I can pour myself into others. I can pour myself into my children, into my grandchildren, into my relationships. I can love God and love others. I don't have to believe what I hear every day. I don't have to be drained by it. I don't have to be sapped by it. I don't have to be overwhelmed by it. I am invited into an oasis where I am filled again with the presence of God. And in this place... There is a blessedness. There is a participation in joy because we are holding on to some core things. And here they are. We're holding on to the fact that those who are poor in spirit inherit the kingdom of heaven. I don't have to have all the answers and all the wisdom. I don't come in here because I'm an activist. I come in here because I am humbly attempting to follow the God of the universe. And I come to hear from him how to do that better every day. That's what I do. That's why I'm here. I come here because I want to be a part of those who can honestly own their own mourning and comfort the people around them. Amen? I, I want to be a part of healing things that are broken. And sometimes that just means listening. It just means being a part of something where we're allowed to be sincere in our life and in our journey. I believe in being meek. This is a place of meekness. 
That word that he uses is prouse. You know, it's one of my favorite words. Literally means, blessed are those who find the middle ground between the extremes. Blessed are those who understand that virtue lies in the middle. I'm going to love people on the right. I'm going to love people on the left. Of all of the places where we as the kingdom of God ought to represent that we know how to love people, it's in here. Amen? Not because people align with us, everything philosophically, but we are just the people who have said, you know what, in the kingdom of God, we don't pay attention to politics, we don't pay attention to race, we don't pay attention to culture. We love people, period. We just love them. And it's messy and we don't know how to do it well, but we do it. It's our commitment. Because Jesus said, listen, if you want to boil it all down, here's what it's about. Love God and love others. And do it well. Do it well. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Well, that's important. There is a rightness. And we hunger and thirst for it. Don't you hunger and thirst for it? Okay. Sometimes we hunger and thirst to be right. That is not the same thing as hunger and thirsting for righteousness. Because hunger and thirsting for righteousness says, I might not know. But God does. Here's what I think, and I'm passionate about it, and I see what you think, and you're passionate about it, and we don't agree. Could we both agree together to seek His will on earth as it is in heaven? Could we agree to that? Could we pray for that? Could we seek that? Above all else, could we go for that? Because that's what righteousness looks like. It doesn't look like what I think. It doesn't look like what you think. It looks like what He thinks. And as imperfectly as that might be my understanding of that, I'm going to seek it. I'm going to hunger and thirst for it. And I'm going to show mercy because I think it matters. And I'm going to work to be pure in heart. I can't be pure. <laughs> Amen. But maybe I could be pure in heart, meaning maybe I could just want the right things. Maybe at the end of the day I could say, God, forgive me when my attitude got whacked out because what I really do want is to hunger and thirst for your righteousness, to be merciful, to be meek, to be poor in spirit. That's what I really want. And I want to be a peacemaker. Here the language is very specific. I'm not just denying things. I'm seeking genuine reconciliation and resolution. I'm a peacemaker. I'm trying to get deeper than the superficial things that go on in the world and even in my own relationships. I want real resolution. And then I'm going to understand something about persecution I think sometimes we think because we're Christians, we're being persecuted unfairly. I think sometimes we're being persecuted because we're irrelevant and misunderstood and considered to be somewhat unreal. You and I are here to be the very genuine, real kingdom of God alive on earth. That's why we gather. That's what this is about. This isn't about building churches. This isn't about how good we look. This, isn't a, this is about an oasis where we come and commune with the very power and presence of God. This is about a place where we get refueled so that we can go back out into our world so we can be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And we can't do that on our own. That takes energy. It takes work. It takes, it takes being refueled at the end of the week or at the beginning. That's why we're here. And the core of the gospel is built around these. What if Jesus was serious and what we think about this matters 
It will affect how we live and what our priorities are and how we choose to serve and how we choose to sacrifice. What we think about this genuinely matters. God, would you help us? As we come to the close of these moments together, as we think about this fall season and what it means to be the church, as we explore that, as we open our hearts to it from the Sermon on the Mount and ask you to teach us and grow us as a congregation, those who gather in this place every week, those that gather in Pasadena every week, those that gather online every week, we are interested in a season in which we are exactly who you've invited us to be. Whatever that looks like, we're interested in seeing your will done on earth as it is in heaven, in this place, in the lives of the people represented here. We're interested in you pouring into folks something more than just our thoughts and our feelings. We're interested in communing with you. We're interested in mutual vulnerability. We're interested in opening up our hearts. We need you. We long for you. We're asking and inviting. And so as we respond to your word, would you hear the plea of our hearts? And would you lead us in these moments and in these weeks ahead? And would you speak to us in very specific ways about our response? and what you desire from us. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, will you stand as we respond? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.